Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Footy Prime News and Such. Your one-stop destination for footy news and such. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Good morning, if you're listening to this this morning. Probably not. It's Friday, though. It is Footy Prime's news and such. The morning after the night before. What a night it was. Canada, once again, just bossing CONCACAF. Bossing it. A lot of fun that was, despite a little bit of a nervousness in that second half. But thanks to uh, Borian and Jonathan David, it was all right on the night. Uh, full house today. I'm Shaman Dunlop's here. Forrest here as well. Um, but our main guest today is a guy that, if you follow football in North America or globally, you know who he is. He's a friend of the show, Grant Wall of GrantWall.com. Check out all Grant's writing on there as well as his, his podcast, which is outstanding, by the way. Happens uh, numerous times every every week. Grant, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's great to see you guys. Uh, really looking forward to coming up for the game. This is a giant showdown game for CONCACAF supremacy, and, and I think it's really fun just to say that about USA Canada. It is, and if you told me we'd be saying that, you know, a year ago, I would have probably laughed. Oh, Mexico's playing the States up here? Really? That's weird. <laughs> what has happened down below? But here we are, and it's, it's for first place. Um, it, you know, I look at these two teams, and they remind me of each other, this transitional period both were in as we started this qualifying campaign. And certainly Greg Berhalter's been that custodian in the States. Does it feel to you that the transition is now grown into a legitimately solid team? very much on the right track? I think so. And they really needed these World Cup qualifying games to do that because everyone talks about this U.S. team and how young they are, which is true. They're a very young team and how they're playing for some of the best clubs in Europe, you know, which we haven't seen before with the U.S. men's team. So, Barcelona and Chelsea and Dortmund and Leipzig and Juventus. And, uh, and yet all that's just on paper until you actually start playing important games together as a national team. And, and because of the pandemic, they really hadn't even had much of a chance to play semi-important games, much less really important games together over the last couple of years. So that's been really important for this U.S. team under Greg Berhalter, and it's an appreciably different team, even now compared to the first qualifier down in El Salvador, where they only got a point and and looked like a team that was a little deer in the headlights to some extent when you saw Serginio Dest walk into Estadio Cuscatlan and be like, I've never been any place like this before. 
he has now. You know, one of the, the main things about this U.S. team and is that they're young and developing, but, you know, putting that aside and where they're all at and the clubs that they're at on paper, where do you have them in, in, in against former U.S. teams in the last 20, 25 years? You know, like, I think because of recency bias, maybe we tend to, in all aspects, overrate the current and, and recent as opposed to, you know, to the, the teams in the past. And I think this U.S. team still has a little ways to go to compare to like the 2002 World Cup team that got to the quarterfinals, not because of any individual brilliance necessarily, a little bit, but, you know, mostly just uh, great chemistry inside the team, guys who weren't overawed by the moment of a World Cup or playing against a Portugal, knowing they could actually beat that team in the O2 World Cup. Um, and there's more experience that these U.S. players, these young ones currently need to get. But in terms of talent, they are beyond what we've seen in the past as a collective uh, mm-hmm. compared to U.S. teams. And and obviously Landon Donovan and uh, Clint Dempsey and um, – you know, before that, Tab Ramos and, and, you know, there's been some very talented players on the U.S. men's team over the years, but not in the numbers that we're seeing today. And so that, that's a process, but I think it's a process that I, you know, I think they could be in a good spot once the World Cup starts um, later this year. And they still have some work to do to qualify, but I think they'll make it just as I think Canada will now. And um I think this U.S. team can actually – everyone's talking about, oh, 26 will be the year of the deep run at home. But, like, I think people are, are overlooking a little bit 2022. I think this U.S. team, by the time November comes around, will be able to compete pretty well with some of the world's best teams. Grant, did U.S. soccer watch Canada beat Mexico and Edmonton and think, we got to have that. We That's what we want. So let's <laughs> sandwich a trip to Canada's Pittsburgh with Columbus and Minnesota in February. Like, who came up with that plan? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a strange one. And U.S. soccer is tired of hearing me be critical of them about Mm. their choice, which I think is important to say here. This was a choice to play two home qualifiers in the dead of winter in Minnesota and Columbus. And Minnesota is going to be tougher because that's a very Arctic situation. I think it's going to probably be colder than Hamilton. And I don't know why you would do that with this U.S. team because you play these games in Texas or Florida, it's not that much more travel. It's still, it would still be the easiest travel window of this entire qualifying process for the U.S. Mm-hmm. And this U.S. team isn't like its predecessors because there's a real technical advantage in a, in a major way against most opponents, especially the two home opponents this time, why not give yourself ideal conditions to make the most of that advantage and not muck it up by potentially playing in hazardous winter weather? They lucked out a little bit here in Columbus because it was not bad weather at all. In the end, it was, it was cold. It was like 30 degrees Fahrenheit, but um, I still think that's a choice. And I look at, um, it, these types of, of decisions that U.S. soccer makes, and, you know, I, I, I don't get it. 
You know, that's an interesting call. And then with our national team as well, uh, John Herman had the uh, final decision of where this game would be played against the United States. And I know the Canadian Soccer Association would have loved to have had it in Vancouver. Um, but because of the travel, he's going to think about that and put the cold weather aside. But another question is that even the Canadian national team, Going to cold places like Edmonton, it got away with it against the Mexican side and Costa Rica, of course. But even this side with Canada, the conditions should be the best they possibly could because of the technical talent that they have on their side, I think, uh, Grant. And in those days, are look as though they're gone even for us to, to try to play in really bad conditions to try to get results in CONCACAF. And there's a similar discussion happening in Mexico now because they have so many European-based players about should we actually be playing at altitude in the Azteca anymore because the altitude is an issue for these Mexican players Mm -hmm. in a way that it wasn't when most of that team was domestic-based. So I I do – I find it odd. Um, I think it's a very reactive position from U.S. soccer on where they put these games because I've reported that they had contracts in place. If Vancouver was the choice for the Canada-USA game, the U.S. games would have been in Portland and San Jose, much better conditions this time of year. Um, and I'm, it's always interesting. It's a little bit like when coaches talk about preparing their own team for games. I don't think you should be totally reactive to what the opponent is doing. And basically U.S. soccer waited for John Herdman to make his preference known. And there was a cat and mouse game on where this middle game against Canada was going to be for the U.S. And everything the U.S. was going to do was contingent upon Canada's decision. And and I, I think that's a little silly. Yeah, I find it. I don't, I don't get this whole narrative though about, oh, Canadian boys and American boys, they, they love playing in the cold. They're, they're where they're from. It's like, no, <laughs> they, they don't. It. They hate it with a passion. And, and you see the games reflect that. You, you wrote yesterday, Grant, how it was 1-0, but if that was played in El Salvador, it's not 1-0. There's many more goals involved. So it did hold the states back. I think so, or at least, you know, in the southern part of the U.S. I mean, like, for this game, the third game of this window where USA hosts Honduras in St. Paul, Minnesota on February 2nd, the last home qualifier four years ago for the U.S. against Honduras, the U.S. won 6-0 out in San Jose. Very good conditions, huge U.S. advantage. I can feel fairly confident saying it's not going to be a six-goal difference with the U.S. and Honduras in St. Paul, Minnesota on February 2nd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have a two-part question for you for ahead of this game against Canada on Sunday. Why do they call Anthony Robinson Jedi, and <laughs> and does he have enough in the toolbox to successfully defend Tejan Buchanan? It's a great question, and he was actually asked about that in the post-game press conference uh, last night here in Columbus, and it sounded like from his response, uh, hasn't really engaged much on the Canada scouting yet. Cause, mm. uh, he had some sort of general, uh, platitudes about Tajan Buchanan. I don't think he knows much about him yet. He'll find out in the next day or two as he gets ready. Uh, watch some video, but, um, you know, like you, you look at, um, what was the first question by the way? Why do they call him Jedi? Oh, Jedi. Um, He talked about that as well. And it's funny as a writer, you know, you want to call players in written form what they want to be called. Right. Mm -hmm. And so 
He literally said, I don't really like being called Antony. I like, I prefer being called Jedi, which he's been known as since he was five years old, he said, because he was a big Star Wars fan and said that forever, basically, he introduces himself to people, including his school teachers back in the day as call me Jedi. Uh, I kind I kind of love it. It's a little weird, but um, I'm into it. And, um, and I will now in, in formal press conferences address him as Jedi Robinson. You know what, from this point onwards, I'm to be called Luke Skywalker. I've, I've decided. I was a big Star Wars fan when I was seven. <laughs> and big Luke okay. fan, more okay, so than Luke. Han Solo. So, so hey, Craig, or should I call you Chewbacca? Yeah, I'd be Chewbacca, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> and Zaza Binks in the top left there would be. <laughs> <laughs> I had different interests as a child. Here's an interesting thing, by the way. I, we're seeing a lot of personality from from Jedi Robinson here, in the sense that when he scores his game winning goal on Thursday night. Part of his goal celebration is always doing handsprings, which, yeah, that's cool. You can do that. Why not? But he added an element to it where he faked having done a hamstring injury for a split second. And his teammates, he hadn't told about They They were concerned about that he'd been injured doing this handspring situation. And then sort of like WWE style, he then like dramatically emerges all, you know, walking around healthy and his teammates were like upset with him for the celebration or happy for the goal or whatever. He's kind of an odd cat. Playing that's his football will do that. That's, but that's good. Though. I think it's positive. I think you need those personalities in football, right? And I think that's how, how a team gets his identity with the fan base too, with, with these kind of these behaviors. Well, you're right. That, you're, you're right, Sharm. Should we be talking about, you know, we, Alfonso Davies uh, yeah. watching the game. I mean, he reacts to the goal and, I have no idea what he's saying. Absolutely no idea. And it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. You don't speak Gen Z for us? Come on, Everybody man. Everybody loves Get it. Get on Twitch. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was amazing, though, wasn't it? I think it's so so positive. But on that note, Grant, I mean, looking at this US team, there's so many young studs. You know, Ricardo Pepe didn't even start yesterday. Who, who Who's going to be the poster boy of American football in the next decade? It's a great question because Christian Pulisic has sort of been anointed that over the last few years and he recently won a champions league title and he's still viewed as the best American player, even though he's going through a rough patch and, and had a, an off game on Thursday night, but he's not the most gregarious guy, not the most, you know, the quickest to embrace the spotlight that's on him. And so in the long term, I'm curious to see if that poster boy will be Christian Pulisic or somebody else, or there may be multiple ones. Usually with World Cups, there's so much more mainstream attention in the United States from the general sports world that I'm curious to see which companies advertise a lot with certain U.S. players. Because if you're looking for big personalities, Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, um, those guys could run for office. I mean, they are really good speakers and and just fun guys and and good players, obviously too. Um, Ricardo Pepe is is interesting because he's a goal scorer and because he represents something that we haven't seen with the U.S. men's national team over the years, which is the possibility for 
a Mexican American superstar. Um, and obviously he's not there yet. He's got a lot of work to do. He just got sold for $20 million to Augsburg, uh, from FC Dallas. So at the same time, you know, he's, um, Pepe's got a, a real personality as well too, that I, I think, um, will draw attention. So as long as he's scoring goals, uh, and playing, which he didn't do on Thursday night in a surprise, Jesus Ferreira got the start, instead and that left me wondering because Pepe didn't even come on as a sub in this game um is the plan to start him against Canada and was that the plan all along if he doesn't start I will be surprised and asking if he's picked up uh, an injury or or somehow Burhalter has lost some faith in him it we're MLS observers here but very much removed from the U.S. men's national team machine I looked at Greg Burhalter's team and I thought He's got 13 MLS guys in a January window. Like, is the quota here tied to inflation? I know they hate to hear that, but come on. Like, there's got to be a quota in there, right? You know, I, I to hear Burhalter say it, he brought in 28 players, which is more than he has for any camp during qualifying because he was worried about Omicron and, and just sort of assumed that some guys were going to drop aside. Um, certainly hoping no one would. And I think U.S. soccer has been pretty smart about communicating to its players with, you know, as they traveled in, especially the ones who aren't MLS based and weren't in the January camp with Burhalter, um, you know, wear an N95 mask, you know, you really can't get Omicron right now. We need you. And so far we haven't had any positive tests in this U S camp, but that was my headline when this U S roster came out was 13 MLS players. That's more MLS players than Burhalter has picked for any of these qualifying camps. And MLS players haven't played games in two months, you know, and, and that's somewhat surprising. Now, there's a bunch of conspiracy theorists in sort of the U.S. soccer fan base who think there is a quota that like U.S. soccer is somehow mandated to Greg Berhalter or the establishment or the machine that he has to pick a certain number of MLS players. I don't think there's a I don't think this exists uh, I do think maybe institutionally just the way things are set up that there are some incentives for Burhalter built in to to have MLS players in the team but I don't think there's some sort of quota or you know you know conspiracy theory type situation but those MLS players that were in this January and December camp that Burhalter had um, he's been around them a lot. And so um, I, I think maybe sometimes with like familiarity, if you're around Burhalter every day in camp, uh, I, I think he must have, that must have influenced his decision on the 13 MLS players. You know, speaking uh, Grant about, Major League Soccer, uh, you know, the, the league was created to produce and and after the 94 World Cup and whatnot to produce American players and, you know, have a system and a league, a domestic league they could be proud of. And they did that. And they've it's been some bumps along the road, several. But where that league is right now, it's also benefiting Canadian players. And with the rule changes that changed a few years ago is Canadians being able to play in American teams as non-foreigners. Uh, as before playing as foreigners was really difficult and really an unfair rule. I thought when we had Canadian teams in the same league where Americans could come to 
and play as non-foreigners. So uh, that's really benefited the Canadian national system as well. What are your thoughts on the league, where it's at right now, and the development it is uh, for not only for Canada, but other CONCACAF teams as well? Yeah, I, I would like include all of CONCACAF in this. You know, like when you look at the national teams, especially in Central America, but in the Caribbean as well, that MLS has been great for those national teams and providing opportunities to play at a slightly higher level than uh, the countries that they're from. You know, some of the top stars in MLS over the years have been from all over CONCACAF. And that goes back to the start of the league when you had uh, Mauricio Cienfuegos play for the LA Galaxy and, uh, and over the years too. And, you know, obviously there's more teams now in MLS. I can remember when there were still just 10 teams in the league, there's about 30 soon. Mm-hmm. And so that increases player demand, including throughout the region. And development has gotten better inside MLS academies. Uh, and that's been huge, obviously, the biggest uh, you know, development situation. The best one we've seen is with Alfonso Davies in, uh, in Vancouver, and, and look what he's done. So um, I still think that MLS needs to get better at that because right now what we have are a few MLS clubs have developed a reputation for being able to develop young talent and sell it for millions of dollars, but there's not that many yet. I mean, Dallas, Philadelphia, in in terms of like a significant number of young players being sold. And so I'd like to see even more uh, from Mm -hmm. other MLS clubs as well, because frankly, some of those MLS clubs academies have been disappointing. Another quick question, guys, is is to you, Grant, is that the, quality of the players in the league is certainly increased as well. And uh, the the standard of play uh, for my money has become much more watchable. And I think it's going in the, in the right direction. And the, the ownerships are certainly, or owners or potential owners are interested in this league like never before. Uh, does that come down, in your opinion, to the salary cap and what they can actually run the club on if they want without going into the designated player area? I mean, that's uh, certainly a part of it. Um, you know, the quality has gone up. You know, I, I enjoy watching MLS. You know, like it's certainly got its issues um, and, and you know, areas where I think it can improve. But, um, you know, I, I watch the league um, and, and I like it for the most part. So um, they've got to figure out how to make as much money from television as other professional sports leagues do though. And they haven't done that yet. And that's a huge thing that is going to have an impact on the ability to buy players of a higher level in the future. If they truly do want to win the CONCACAF champions league or truly eventually want to be viewed in any similar conversation with top European leagues, they're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And, um, You know, they have a new media deal that they're working on now. They're supposed to announce in the next couple of months. And it's going to be for more money, but not of a level where the revenues of the league are going to be majority broadcast revenue because they're not there yet. Mm. Grant, always enjoy a chat. We're pushed for time, but but thank you so much. Uh, You'll be in Hamilton, I'm assuming, on, on Sunday. Fingers crossed. I'm still in Columbus, set to get uh, into Hamilton on Friday night. Uh, so uh, can't wait to be there for a big game like this. 
Well, I look forward to seeing there, mate. Uh, thanks so much as always, and uh, we'll chat to you real soon. Thanks for having me. That is Grant Wall. GrantWall.com is the place to get all of Grant's wonderful work. Fellas, uh, interesting chat as always with Grant. We do need to, before we jump off, though, talk about last night's game very briefly. 2-0 in Honduras. Now, Craig, I'm watching this game and I'm thinking of you the entire time because great, good performance, massive three points, yada, 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 right? But it wasn't really the San Pedro Sula that perhaps you are are more familiar with. The the, the hostility and and volatility of the stands at 50%, uh, politics were... A much bigger storyline in Honduras this past week than football. Regardless, nice win, but I'm thinking of you thinking, man, I bet Craig, part of Craig's thinking, man, those, those kids are lucky as hell. <laughs> yes, I was uh, thinking they were lucky. Uh, yeah, looking at and following the situation in Honduras uh, with the political uh, situation and the turmoil down there and you know, a, a new uh, first time a woman has been elected as president. Uh, that was all done on the same day as the game. The inauguration was at Tegucigalpa Stadium, which is a stadium that we used to play at. It's larger than San Pedro Sula. Um, and it was packed. I don't know about any COVID protocols, but it, there was people <laughs> everywhere. And there's a lot of hope around the Honduras uh, c- country. And uh, I really do hope that it, things get better for them because it's an absolute tragedy. And uh, when you travel down there, sometimes it's not the football that can affect you mentally. It can be the surroundings and the, the mass poverty that uh, you see in Central America. And I think Honduras is 71% uh, poverty uh, line. So it's just, it's just devastatingly uh, tangible uh, when you're there. Um, so from that standpoint, uh, they still see it, but, from the game standpoint, it was always going to be half full. Uh, the country has given up on this team. Um, as much as they will get right behind them, as we know, and they will fight tooth and nail for this team, when things go the other way, they'll also give up on them. Um, and with the political situation and the big day that they had yesterday, football was secondary. Uh, and part of that is because Honduras hasn't hadn't won a game in 11 and now 12 games, which is unheard of. I've never seen an Honduran team look this weak um, in their history before they, you know, the center back uh, Figueroa is at 38, 39 years old. And he was a, a premier league defender. He was a good premier league defender, mm-hmm. but it, that was 12 years ago, you know, <laughs> and it just shows you where they're at when they have to play him. Um, and he's still the captain of that national team, which I'm sure he's happy to be part of, but it's, he shouldn't be. One of the loudest voices on this Canadian team, and especially with the absence of Milan Boria, and you wanted to see people step up. Um, the absence of Alfonso Davies, excuse me, you wanted to see people step up. And that save by Milan Borian in the 70th minute was world class. If he doesn't make that save and Honduras equalize, we might be talking about a different game. You know, you're bang on. And that's, uh, that, that's something that uh, Milan Borian has been doing uh, exceptionally well. Um, you know, he played, you know, looking at his international career, uh, he's played a lot of games. He's got a lot of clean sheets. Most of them are against CONCACAF opposition. I think he's only actually played seven of his international games against opposition outside of CONCACAF, which is quite interesting. But saying that apart, he, he comes over uh, from Europe. He's always incredibly focused. He's in touch with everything that's going on with John Herdman. They've got what they're going to do outside of the nature. 
nature of um, he's been fantastic. Uh, he's been he's an incredibly strong character. Uh, he's, he's coming almost to the career, but at 34, he also as a goalkeeper. You feeling pretty comfortable about yourself. You're, you're, you're. Uh, I would say 32, 33 would be your prime. But you know, you're, you're in that area. And then also with the, with his ability in the dressing room and his experiences in Europe and all that put a, it put into the, into the factors of what's going on. Um, it's just a good blend uh, all around. Uh, he did go walk about once in a while, and he does do that. He gets a little red mist comes over him, and he decides to go for a runabout and gets away with it. But uh, overall, he's been outstanding, and he's come up with some key saves, uh, one against Mexico near the end of the game uh, that kept that uh, three points for Canada. And then uh, there was several, actually, or certainly a couple that you could call all uh, very important saves he made against the Honda. He is, it seems, the, uh, the the vocal leader of that team as well. The energy, you know, with Alfonso Davis not there, and Herman mentions this, how they really have missed his exuberance and excitement and energy in the room. And I understand that. I haven't seen him on Twitch. You can just imagine. Um, but, but you know, the, the, the I wouldn't call Borjan Borjan the, the calming voice because he's not a calming voice, I don't think. He gets the boys up. But it, it's great to see. You see those videos of him in the circle getting the boys riled up before or after a match, right? Um, I think the most famous one was after the first round of qualifying before the Oct. When, when they qualified for the Oct, he got them together and said, okay, it kind of starts now, boys. This is where it all starts. I think it's really important. But B, I mean, listen... You're missing Afonso, you're missing Estacchio, um, trying to predict an 11 for Jen Herbman's next to impossible. He got it right, didn't he? He got it right last night. Yeah, he really did get it right. And uh, and you're right. I thought I was ter- terrified you were going to ask me to predict this 11 on Sunday against the United States. Cause <laughs> I just got, I got asked no that on radio, idea. by the way. And like I, I said, I have no idea. How but would I know? It's John what- Herbman. Yeah, what's amazing is we're at this point, though, where it's like, well, he's got about 16 guys that he could use there. And you look at that lineup, you're like, yep, that's the right one. Go go out there and get the job done, right? They they have the depth to have the freedom to do that. And uh, I got asked on radio, you know, what would the, the next window be if they've already qualified? I'm like, are you uh, now I'm doing math here on the fly? OK, so the Costa Rica <laughs> and Panama, what are they going to do? Well, he's going to experiment. Well, I don't know what he would do. I've never seen this team in this in that position. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do now. Yeah, let's worry about that later. Yeah. What, what's <laughs> the magic number? That. Give me that. What's the magic number? F- the points that they need to get from these next two games? Yeah. Oh, just, just to qualify in general. What oh, is it? To- so what, we, well, the, we don't know, right? You know that, yeah, no, we don't know. There's there's multiple scenarios. But if they had one, if they win all three games in this window, there's the there was the possibility, along with some other factors. I think Jamaica losing outright and and Mexico having drop points. There was a couple of scenarios in in this window specifically. Mexico or Panama would need to get uh, no more than a point in their three games, and Costa Rica would need to not get more than six points from their three games. Jamaica would need to not win all three of their games. Okay. And Canada's in with nine points in this window. I'm still in that mindset, though. I don't know about you, Craig. I'm still looking at Panama and and the fourth place. I'm looking at that still as uh, Mm -hmm. must must avoid that. You know, it's just, but let's get there at least, you know, as opposed to the team seems, no, let's win this damn thing. Let's win the group. Have you come over to that side yet where you think this team should be Mm -hmm. and can win the group? Or is it just, let's just finish top four? Well, top three if they finish in third place so they drop down to third and they actually qualify automatically i'll take that i think everybody will i don't think it matters where they finish as long as it's uh the fact that we don't 
what the points are is is a thing. And I think that's the same as where John Herdman is with the team. Don't look at the table. The table is a now is the game against the United States. That's it. That's the only thing that matters is the United States. Get get a result against that. But don't look at the table. That's completely irrelevant to us. They got a, they still have a process to go through as a team collectively to get there. We could say whatever we want. Yeah, they're going to qualify and it's easy. But when you're in that dressing room and you still have to go through that process, it's a uh, it's a different it's a different mindset. You still you know you feel it. You feel that you you still have to go through it, and that process is important. And there's still some very important games left. But to get the three points to start this window off, that takes a huge amount of pressure off this side, doesn't it? It, do, it does. You know, look at Honduras. I mean, they're they're in transition and they're you know not looking great. El Salvador, they're they're never going to qualify. Costa uh, Rica and Panama, they were kind of the worry. Uh, where were they going to be? Uh, Jamaica as well, with all these players they were going to bring in. I think this COVID situation really devastated and took that train off the tracks uh, for Jamaica. And they never have got themselves going uh, in this uh, competition as of yet. So uh, it's sitting in a really good position for Canada, but uh, let's hope that they can uh, get something against the U.S. Uh, who haven't played particularly brilliantly really in qualifying. They've got the job done just about, but they haven't convinced me yet. B, what do you expect to see from Canada against the States? Do you think they'll be aggressive, attacking, they'll go for the three points, or, or can you see them taking a more you know, um, conservative approach? I think they'll be pretty conservative. I think both teams will be. It's just trying to kind of survive the conditions, really. I think this is going to very much be a feel each other out for a, a first half. You can you can join this at halftime, I think, and get everything that you need out of this game. I really think it'll, the action will, will be exclusively in the second half. And uh, uh, Wonger would ask me for footy picks if it was a certain day of the week, and I would take the under because I, I would yeah. be stunned if, if you know, they're, they're looking to – be as creative and as attacking as uh, they can be. They'll, they'll take their moments when they're there. But I think really uh, Canada is just looking to to not lose this game, right? William Hill had the uh, over under at two and a half. Okay, that's the standard. Yeah, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, definitely under that. <laughs> There's yeah. no doubt, right? Well, you'd think so. That's a minus one twenty five. Is that value you- there, B? Uh, under minus, well, yeah, I mean, you're, uh, I think it's standard, it's the favorite. So it's not, there's not actually value because at minus 125, it's the favorite, uh, favorited wager there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's going to be exciting. Wonga, you enjoyed last night's game, didn't you? Wonga's not there. There he is. Where are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed last night's game. It was uh, really refreshing. I did find, and I was surprised by this, the pitch. That thing looked like they threw it together. There was no roots. These guys were slipping. I saw Tejan almost wreck his knee. That's when I get worried. When these guys fly over, they've got a day, and Craig can talk to this. I know we're quick for time, but that must be exhausting. And then you're playing on a pitch that could almost hurt you. That seemed very uh, detrimental last night. Hmm. That's an interesting one, Wonger, because you, you look at not what we talk about the weather conditions the team has gone through and also altitude and everything else that goes uh, have been drastically different. Uh, going from Mexico City, where the pitch was great at altitude, Jamaica, which is awful, 
uh, cow patch here. Awesome. They couldn't pass the ball around. It was bobbling. Uh, Edmonton's surface wasn't particularly brilliant and artificial. And you're bouncing back down. So to Bermuda grass, all these things are different. And the ball handles and runs differently on Bermuda grass than it does on uh, different types of grass as well. Holds up different length of grass. If it's too long, very hard to whistle the ball around. I think when we played, going back to, we played Brazil and Edmonton years ago, and we just before the World Cup that they won and got a draw, uh, that, that surface in Edmonton, we had the grass too long for the Brazilians. They wanted it to be short and tight and just whistling that ball around us, but they couldn't. And it was slow and it was methodical and it was difficult for them. And it, it, it was it was a leveler for us. So the surfaces are really, really important as far as that goes. And also from the injury standpoint, uh, Wonger, you're right. The, the, there's there's that as well. And clubs like, oh, Fonzo Davies is out in Bayern Munich. And these guys, when they're playing on surfaces in Edmonton, I tell you, they're worried about it. Absolutely worried about it. So, I mean, Brazilians, Brazilians aren't, aren't used to too much grass in their field anyway. So that explains why that would be the case. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's, it's the, the kind of line we'd say for our Wednesday podcast, but it just happened to pop up. So sorry, fellas. Um, play charms. <laughs> uh, boys, we're out of time. Uh, Grant Wall was fantastic as always. Uh, yep. Don't forget grantwall.com for all his content and his podcast is fantastic as well. Some great guests, by the way. Yeah, football um, with Grant Wall. It's yeah. uh, it's a really good one, and he's he's part of the Dan Lebetard Metal Arc family now, so they're uh, getting even more content up there. All right, well, boys, um, let's look forward to Sunday's next huge match for Canada. But these are halcyon days for Canadian football fans. We'll be back on. Well, we might have a little bit of content for you possibly on Sunday, but but more than likely it'll be on Monday. So uh, thank you very much, Wonga, B, Craig. I'm Shams. Cheers for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.